everyone, and welcome to the Milo Goes to Med School podcast, where we speak to doctors about punk rock, ska, indie, rap, metal, and music in general. I'm your host today, Dr. Anthony Chu, and today's guest is Dr. Daryl Wilson. Dr. Wilson's an emergency medicine doctor at Edward Hospital in Naperville, Illinois. He's best known as the vocalist and singer for the Chicago punk band, The Bull Weevils. We talked to Dr. Wilson today about growing up in the Chicago punk scene, touring with the Bull Weevils while in medical school, and the Bull Weevils' new single, Liniment and Tonic, out now on Red Scare Records. So without further ado, I present Dr. Daryl Wilson. So, it's really exciting to meet you, just because... I'll tell you, you know, I've been looking, I've been thinking about this project for, for a long time at this point. And every single time I Google punk rock doctor, your name comes up. <laughs> it's funny. I, I've made it into the Google hits now. I'm guessing one of those top searches. So the algorithm, you know, finally accepts me. I'm, I'm finally in the matrix, I guess. <laughs> You've officially made it, right? I, I, I guess so. When you become part of the matrix of the whole Google you know, algorithm, I guess you've made it somewhere or, or you're infamous in some way. So it's one of the two things. No infamy yet. Hopefully I can keep myself out of that you know, category. So we'll see what happens in the future. I got a lot of time left, I hope. So we'll see. So tell me a little bit about yourself. I know you are a board certified emergency doctor over in Chicago yep. area, right? Yep, I sure am. So yeah, I've been, uh, God, I, I did my training at, at cook county hospital um you know got i graduated from there in 2000 um i've been an attending physician now for 20 years 21 years you know i guess you count my residency of course and i've been a physician for what for 25 years 20 yeah pgy 25 so <laughs> that's how that goes i can count that but uh yeah i mean i i always wanted to be that's my dog back there by the way so <laughs> now i've always wanted to be a physician since i was probably seven years old and that, that story, I've told it a couple of times, but I, I'll tell it again. My grandfather was sick in the hospital with cancer and I went to go visit him with my, my parents and that was my dad's dad. And I'd never seen my dad ever as distraught and sad as he was. And when we got to the hospital, the, the hospital was so just cold and, and dank. Yeah. And, and it just was this place that, that didn't feel like a place that was caring in any way. And my experiences with physicians was just my pediatrician at the time, Dr. Wortley. And um, he was great. You know, he made me feel confident and comfortable and treated myself, my brother with, you know, utmost respect, even as kids. And when we went to the hospital to visit my grandfather in Saginaw, Michigan, it just was, it was the opposite of what I thought healthcare was supposed to be. And I pledged at that time, I wanted to be a physician to treat people better. And so, you know, as the years went on, you know, he died, of course, and it was just devastating because I'd never seen anybody die before. And the effect on my dad was just, you know, devastating to him. Then later on is, you know, I became an angrier kid <laughs> as I grew older. My parents were divorced and, you know, the typical thing, kid of the, you know, 70s and 80s, you know, divorced family, latchkey kid, just angry. Um, you know, my, my dad's mom, was you know dying so my grandmother was dying of cancer as well and i remember we were gonna go visit her she lived out in arizona and i was a you know late teen i was you know just at high school going to college and um i remember talking to her on the phone and she was really weak and i was talking to her trying to comfort her and she said i had such a great bedside manner i'm gonna be a great physician and literally the next day she died and so that kind of 
was another, you know, set of catalyst to kind of push me forward in some sense to become a physician. Um, at the time, I didn't know what kind of physician I would be. I would, you know, fantasize about being an OB-GYN or being a surgeon. And then I started thinking, oh, I'm going to be doing, you know, trauma surgery. That was going to be my thing. And uh, I, I still didn't know for certain that I could be a doc. I felt like I could, but I didn't know for certain. And then in college, I got involved with the Robin Wood Johnson program. One of my organic chemistry professor came over and said, hey, you might want to be a part of this. And it was a experience where we got to shadow physicians of color and um, really see what physicians did and learn from people who we could mentor from. And uh, it was great because I actually saw people that looked like me that were yeah. actually practicing medicine, you know, a bunch of them. And, and it made me feel even more confident that I could actually accomplish the goal of being a physician since I've had it since I was seven years old and kind of kept it in, in, in my, you know, whole you know, dream box sure. <laughs> to, to fly out there. And so I uh, finally, you know, was like, I know I can do this. And I was totally jazzed and, and, you know, propelled into the future. Yeah. But during that time I was playing in a punk rock band, you know, I, I'd been playing in the punk rock band, you know, right. Probably my, yeah, senior, my, my freshman year of college. And so, um, you know, the guys in the Bowie Bulls, I met those guys from, you know, hanging out at naked Reagan shows, you know? Hey, I can and, see the shirt. I can see the yeah. shirt right now. So, so, you know, moving to Chicago, when I moved here as a senior in high school, you know, moving from Michigan, it was like, of course, I was even more angry by the way at that point. And, um, but yeah, I was still already into punk rock at that time. And I was a skateboarder, not a very sure. good skateboarder, but I skated. And so I got, you know, jazzed onto naked Reagan. I was introduced to the local flavor and local heroes of naked Reagan. And, um, went to the show at the Metro, fell in love with that band and fell in love with the Chicago punk scene, found a new family here of Chicago punk rock and uh, met the guys in the Bowdoles there. And we would just go to shows, be survivors in the front. And this is all while I'm doing my studies to you know go to medical school. And so, you know, I never really wanted to limit myself and think that you can't do two things at once. You have to be a whole human being and being, you know, one concrete part of your brain and then being one other part of your brain, which is artistic, you got to mold them together to be a whole human. And so I'm like, well, yeah, I can play in a band and be in medical school. Why not? Why can't you do that? What, who says you can't do that? I mean, and, you know, and I might be a really weirdo person because my, my brain works maybe a little differently and I can yeah. remember things that seem to be obscure because I mean, I can think of stupid, you know, jingles to commercials as a kid or stupid memories from cartoons and TV shows that I find to be hilarious. My brother will do it too. But yeah, I just didn't think there was any limitation on doing that. There was no reason why you couldn't. Yes. Yeah. What you want to do. And it was my outlet. So sure. went ahead and, you know, started medical school, played in a punk rock band, traveled with a punk rock band while in medical school. So what, what year was that? Like, so when, when did you, oh, so yeah. you said you started the Bull Weevils in like freshman year of college, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what year are we talking about here? That's 89, 90. 89, 90. Okay. Yeah. And then, I mean, my, my recollection of the Bull Weevils, the reason why I know the name is flipping through Flipside magazine back in the early mid nineties and seeing, you know, seeing your, your album, you know, the, the ad for Dr. Strange. So I, I, I still remember this very vividly. Hey, there's this, this band from, from Chicago that, that I should check out at the time, obviously harder to check out music back then, you know, you had the mail orders right. and records and stuff, but, right. but things are very different nowadays. Did you always, I mean, had, did you grow up in a musical family? Were you always uh, musically inclined? I know you're a vocalist. 
Yeah, I mean, I, for, I, I would never really call myself musically inclined. I can, I can entertain, I think, and maybe carry a tune a little bit. But, um, you know, I would never want to, you know, put myself into the category of any Pavarotti's or even a, a Lady Gaga <laughs> or anything like that or anybody who really vocalize. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely, you know, had a lot of musical influences around me. You know, my, my mom was could sing, my sister could sing, my brother can sing. You know, and my mom actually, which is funny, you know, my mom actually had, was offered a, a contract to sing with Motown when oh, she wow. was younger. So, I mean, she grew up in Detroit and Aretha Franklin went to church with her and Diana Ross was, you know, a school colleague of hers. So all those people, they were around all the Motown stuff and my mom could sing as well. Um, my grandfather was a preacher, so she sang in the choir at church. And so she got offered a contract with Motown, but she's like, I'm not going to sing. She was initially going to be a veterinarian. And then she turned out instead to get her PhD in sociology and, you know, became a social worker and, and then now worked for larger companies doing all their HR stuff and things like that. So, but she could sing. My sister could sing. There was always music playing in my house when I was a kid, you know, influences coming from, I would hear Parliament Funkadelic. You could hear my sister listening to Prince, you know, Devo was in the house. Um, you know, B-52s, you know, hearing, you know, Stevie Wonder, um, Sly and the Family Stone, you know, uh, Brothers Johnson, you know, just soul and funk and, you know, gospel and, you know, rock and just everything was put yeah. in my house. So, yeah, there was music all the time. And I have some of my best memories come from hearing music. I can hear a song and, you know, think back to memories of living in Michigan and the, the exact day, the way the weather was, you know, the cherry blossoms on the tree that were blooming. I can see, you know, what I was doing at the time, what I was wearing, running outside with my brother. I can think of all those things. So music was always a, a, an influence on me and it was in my house all the time. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, myself as a entertainer, singer, you know, just kind of never been formally trained in any way, which many people could probably tell by listening to our records. But um, it, it's something that, you know, I, I, I sing along to music. And that was kind of the, the, the chance that the guys in the band took when they would, you know, picking me to sing in the band it was kind of like, well, we were hanging out and they hoped I could sing because they'd see me singing along to all the songs at the shows, but they didn't know. And God, they rolled the dice and got lucky, I guess, <laughs> you know, it's a thing. So, um, but yeah, I, I um, definitely uh, have always kind of liked entertaining and playing as a part of things, as well as the, you know, the academics of science and things like that as well. So okay. melding those two things together was like a, a natural thing, like I guess peanut butter and jelly or yeah. you know, peanut butter and chocolate, if you want to mix those things together. And, and so how, how serious were you guys in, in college as terms, in terms of, of band-wise? I mean, you're, you're, that's definitely an interesting era just because it's a little bit pre-grunge pre kind of DIY stuff. So, I mean, were you guys touring or, you know, were you taking time off to, 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 to play shows or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we played shows, you know, on a regular basis. It was kind of, you know, <clears throat> I mean, nothing's ever pre DIY cause you always have to do it yeah. yourself in the beginning. Any band starting is always DIY. That's true. And it's even when you're successful, you still got to DIY it, right? You still got to push and, and make things work though you might have other people who are kind of pushing for you. So it's not always do it yourself, I guess, when you get really huge. And I don't understand because I'm still DIY, I guess. Yeah, I mean, in the early phases, we played a lot. We played as much as we could, you know, depending upon studying, depending upon what I had to do. And in medical school, it was the same way. You know, we, we would play shows, but it was really interspersed between in the first two years, um, the way it was set up back in the day, of course, it was all two years of didactic and then you do your clinicals. And so 
with the didactic portions, you'd have summers off. So I'd be going yeah. tour for the summer and I'd come back and then start up another, you know, year. So the first two years. And then during my clinicals, it was like, had this clinical <laughs> rotation, here's your time off between this clinical rotation and the next one. And we'd go on tour between this time. So I would literally leave from a rotation and we get in the van and we go on tour. Okay. And I, and I never really, it, you know, thought about it. You know, <clears throat> I, I had the opportunities to do it because my family was very understanding because I didn't go see my family a lot. It was like the, the band was my family and yeah. we would go from seriously, you know, that day right up until I had to start the next rotation and, and okay. get in and, uh, on a wire. And sometimes it was kind of a little hairy, you know, thinking like, I, I can't miss this. This is important too. And, you know, opportunities that did come up that we had to pass up were things like going on tour to Europe and things like that, or Japan. We couldn't do those things because medical school sure. didn't permit that. It wasn't yeah. enough time. I couldn't just say, let me take a sabbatical from this and then just come back and do it. It'd be like, you take a sabbatical, you're gone. You know, yeah. it's like, that you can't do that. So, but we did, you know, press our own shirts, you know, work sure. with local labels and got, you know, our records put out, got discovered by Dr. Strange through just the happenstance of, of Ken, our guitar player, who has had a rhythm collision sticker on his yeah. car, you know, from Dr. Strange. And Harlan's girlfriend at the time was in Chicago and she saw Ken's car. He had this big Bowieville, like, laminate thing on his car too, which is crazy. Um, he was driving a Geo Metro back in the day. <laughs> and so he, she saw him and was honking at him and getting his attention. He's like, why is this woman honking at me? And she pulled him over literally to say, hey, you have a rhythm collision sticker. My boyfriend Harlan plays in this band. And they had a conversation. He's like, oh, I play in this band, the Bowie Bulls. We like rhythm collision. And that's how we kind of got embroiled into the whole Doctor Strange thing, which is so like random that that happens. I mean, yeah. you think a lot of things that happen when it comes to bands, it's like, it's not always a matter of like being that great. It's a matter of like just having luck on your side and things Absolutely. happen. Because I mean, when you think about and you listen to some of those old records, yeah, it was like the youthful exuberance and putting it together and just banging on instruments and, and singing. And then you look back and go, God, we weren't that good. <laughs> but but when you don't have a lot of choices back in the day, you're like, well, this is pretty good, you know, from, from when you go back. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the, 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 the big luck, um, the stars aligning and, and yeah. things moving forward. It was kind of cool that that took place. And those guys are still good guys, you know, to this day. All the people that we've met throughout have just been great people. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a, you know, a time when we were doing it ourselves and you know, pressing things, you know, coming to the underdog loft and pressing t-shirts or doing it in someone's garage. And those are our, our real special times. You think back to those things and it is a, a, a skill that not only just you can use for just, you know, music, you can use it for anything in the sense yeah. of knowing you can get something done. If you put your mind to it and you have like-minded people with you, you can actually make something happen. You can create something, which is wonderful. So those are lifelong skills that you still use. And I still use really in medicine, really, if you sure. think about it, that, that you have to be able to, hey, how can I get this done? How can I get my team to make this work? You know, do I have to do it myself? Do I, you know, when I trained at Cook County, there were a lot of times you had to do things yourself. You know, it's sometimes take your labs down and run this yeah. thing here. You know, it's, you, you have that punk rock spirit and it really goes into everything that you can do. It, it really opens up the world to you in a way. And I think when you were kind of, you know, contacted me and talked about this whole, you know, punk rock, you know, and medicine thing and how people, people always seem to think that it's weird, but it really isn't. 
Yeah. It's kind of a life skill. It, and it's really people who've taken a lot of things in life and have taken sometimes sour things and made them into, you know, purposeful things and finding ways to, you know, make something work for you at the time. And even then using skills to, to, you know, allow yourself to cope with something in a different way or to, uh, you know, connect with patients in a different way. And I, I don't know, maybe it's more humanizing in some sense to, to come from a punk rock background in some yeah, sense. I, I, com I completely agree. So, you know, what, what fascinates me a lot, you know, here, you know, talking to you is, you know, I grew up in a little bit of a different era. So about five, five, 10 years later than you in terms of, you know, being in bands, touring, et cetera, et cetera. So I, you know, I started touring with, with the band, um, you know, kind of the early stages of the internet. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's always interesting and fascinating to me to, to talk to, to, to members that, that toured in bands, how they actually logistically got things done. How did they book <laughs> tours? How did, you know, when we showed up to the internet, you know, or when we showed up to, to shows, I mean, there'd be three people there. You know, I hear these, these lures of, of shows back in the early nineties where, you know, you're any band and you're going to, I'm just going to throw out a town here, Oakland, California, and yeah. there's 150 people there, uh, yeah. which is an extravagant amount of people for, for, you know, being a out of town band. Right. Um, is, is that, is that how, give me, give me a vibe or give me an idea of kind of what, like, how did those things get done? I mean, were, were you part of it or, or yeah. you know, did the label get things done? Well, it was, it was kind of like we, we had to do a lot of DIY stuff because, I, you know, back in the day, they talk about, you know, that, that kind of tour map that was made with, you know, um, you know, Black Flag had yeah. that tour yeah. map that was made. And, you know, <clears throat> you kind of grow from that. And there was a, a zine back in the day called Book Your Own Fucking Life. Okay. So you're, and, you're, you're yes. with the Book Your Own Fucking Life here. <laughs> oh, God, okay. yeah. And, and, okay. we, and what we did, we picked up the phone and we called places. And yeah. you called and you sent your stuff. And, yeah. okay. you know, it, promoters, they were like, yeah, we heard, we saw your stuff in Maximum Rock and Roll. We saw it in Flipside. We, we heard your band. Yeah, you're on Doctor Strange. That's cool. You know, other bands that are coming out that we'd contact, that we'd play with, you know, face-to-face -face or other bands. And you'd be like, yeah. They, they could get shows because they were local. So we'd have local guys, you know, we'd play at Cheap Guy Records back in the day, which was owned by Frank Voodoo, you know, from the Voodoo Glow Skulls. Yeah. And we'd play there. So, so we had bandmates in labels that would also help us when we were out West and we could help them when they were in the Midwest or then we'd call places out East or in the South and just get on the phone and you were talking to people. Sometimes you call a place, you get things booked and realize the show didn't happen when you got there. I mean, that's something that would happen. You would not know early because we didn't have the internet yeah. as it's, you know, as it is now, we suddenly get information just suddenly, you know, you know, pushed to you through an SMS message that says, yeah, by the way, don't show up because the show's canceled. You just show up and suddenly there's, okay, we're here. And like, we didn't even know you were here. We had, we had a show like that. We, we, I kind of think it was in, God, where was it? Was it in uh, Washington state or something? We showed up to a place and it's like, we didn't know you guys were playing. It's like, you had this booked yeah. a while ago. And it's like, nope, you're not playing here. Okay, I guess we're stuck. We're not playing something tonight. And that's kind of hard when you need to make money to go to the next show. But like, yeah, we played a show in Seattle and Monster Truck was supposed to play with us and I, they didn't show up. And um, so we were on stage, this is a huge kind of spot we're playing in. And we're like, okay, so we just invited people up on stage, like the crowd that was there was like probably, you know, 50, 60, 70 people or something. We said, okay, we're on stage. Everybody get up on stage and just play with us. And that was yeah. like kind of the thing. I mean, it's the whole punk rock spirit. You know, you're just going to be like, we're here. 
we're all a part of this same community. Hey, hang out with us. And you guys wanted to see us. Now you're hanging out and playing with us. Um, so, I mean, the, the whole old school way of getting things done was getting on the phone and calling people up and making relationships with people that you could then rely upon to try to hook you up in the end. Yeah. Um, so sleeping on floors or, exactly. you know, you know, getting a meal, um, you know, making sure you got maybe paid for the show to get gas money to go to the next show. Um, and it's one of those things too, that you build this skills of these interpersonal skills on how to once again, network with people and get things done by bartering with people and understanding yeah. how to know how a, a culture in a new part of this, you know, the country works and, and knowing these little nuances that you wouldn't know because we're Midwestern guys, you know, we got to go out West. What do we got to do out there to get shows here? Um, the label would help too. Dr. Strange would help tremendously at the time. You know, we played shows at the show place out West, um, yeah. you know, and, and getting shows like we played at the Roxy and things like that. So, I mean, okay. yeah, some of the bigger shows we'd have help with the label, but a lot of it was done through book your own fucking life. And I mean, that, that was a Bible of things. Yeah. And I mean, nowadays it's like, people have no idea how, how it was all done and they sit back and think in amazement how you just could go out there and almost like pioneers go out west and then you never know if you're going to come back you know? yeah. it's like you might die you know the oregon trail and then you died of cholera you know it's like you know dysentery taken dysentery, one of your members yeah. band yeah. member band member two has died of dysentery so you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting to hear you guys had your own band too. So, I mean, you guys were, you know, there always becomes a point with, with, with bands where, Hey, do you, do you, you know, do you get a van? Cause that, that proves the <laughs> amount of seriousness you are that you have before you go. Right. I, I mean, yes, we were touring our, our friends, you know, parents minivan. We, we never had the money nor would we have the seriousness to be, Hey, we're going to actually commit, you know, five weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks on the road to get our own van. So, yeah. you know, we would borrow these minivans and things like that. So, so, I mean, just hearing that, that you had your own van, you guys were taking it all, all across the country. Uh, I mean, that, that shows how, how serious. Uh, well, you know, I mean, in the beginning, we, we, in the beginning, we still, you know, either borrowed vehicles yeah. from people and things like that, but yeah, I mean, we had, you know, our, so our bass player now is, is Pete Mittler and he was our, our, driver for our first show because pete miller had a van so you're yeah. like hey pete he was a friend of ours he's been in the scene forever you know he's played in like Raygun and the methadones and okay all these. so 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 pete was like yeah i'll take you guys on tour and so he's going to be our roadie and our driver he never moved anything he drove he drove i'll tell you that he drove like a man man he did drive and and also one of our roadies for the our first tour is actually Joe Principe from Rise Against. He was actually oh, wow. our roadie because <laughs> Joe's our good friend and he was our roadie. And all he did on tour, he shilled out 88 Fingers Louis stuff. That's all he did. He just, he had their new single. He was just selling that. And I'm like, dude, you're supposed to be selling our stuff too. <laughs> but he was totally shilling 88 Fingers Louis stuff at the time. I, it's funny because I was, yeah, I was just listening to to that record today, or you know, one of the older <laughs> records today, and I forgot that they they covered "I Don't Want to Hear It" by Minor Threat on their what is one of the first CDs, and I was like, wow, I totally forgot about this band. This kind of got lost to history for me. I mean, it's yeah. funny because we're all just Midwestern friends. We've just yeah. hanging out forever. We're all still friends, which is the funny thing. But yeah, we we all kind of cut our teeth on being these kind of you know pioneers. We're just gonna go and and Pete's van was reliable up to a point we were going to the grapevine in, in California yeah. and, and the van just started dying. It was like, Oh my God, it died. Like the, it was the radiator went to, to, to put. 
and we go to this place to get towed and i swear it was like these these very sketchy guys who were there it was this guy he was talking with a german accent oh yes we fix your van for for you know 486 we fix it for you <laughs> and it was like I, I was thinking is he gonna make us do something really stupid it was like it was very very close to national socialism almost i think in some <laughs> sense. <laughs> but you run into a lot of those jokers on the road anyway yeah, but yeah um but we we got the van fixed and it was took a lot of our money from the shows we're making but in the end we got done with that tour we still made money we made you know like 500 bucks you know yeah. at the end. we had to buy a new radiator for the van and still made money at the end of the tour which was amazing for yeah. a little indie band to go around and do that stuff yeah Usually for sure you leave a tour and you're like okay how much money did we lose oh, it's a, yeah it's a money it's a money pit nowadays yeah but but we did finally eventually buy our own van yeah and had that for a period of time as well and you know yeah, that, that does show a commitment when you get your own vehicle and that is your tour van and you build your loft in it and you have to yeah. have a certain way you Tetris everything in and everything has to go in that way at the end of the show because if you don't do it, it's everything's going to fall. The merch goes here. This yeah. goes here. The, the, the drum kit goes here. The, all the cabinets go here. Here's where all the heads go. Guitars go here. You sleep here and this is it. And you, yeah. can't, and you have to sit there in that way. And it's like, don't add anything else to the van. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't have anything else. The zero sum game at all times. Yes, yeah. because if you do, the the axle's gonna break, suspension's <laughs> gonna go. It's like you can't add anything else, or it's gonna collapse on someone, and they're gonna be trapped underneath it. You have to get rescue dogs to get them out. There's no way we're gonna get them out of the van at the end. So, but yeah, it was awesome when you when you have your own van. You're kind of like, we did it. You know, it, it's not like you know you have your own tour van where you know yeah. you get to sleep and oh no yeah you. this is definitely the you know get in the van and go and, yeah. and pray that it stays together because it's duct tape because you bought it used and you're like you know that the guy who was getting rid of it was like on its last legs anyway but you're going to make it last somehow you're going to pray to the you know the touring gods and they're going to help yeah. you get to where you need to get to yeah and you you look at you know those craigslist ads i mean nowadays i guess but, but you know and there were you know van for 200,000 miles runs well like. yes <laughs> you say what tour did this go on i need to know where it went because if it does run well i need to know we can make it to where we need to make it to exactly like, you can make it as far as you think you're gonna make keep on rubbing that dashboard and you know it's gonna go hit it three times before you start and then you'll get it going <laughs> for sure um so I, I know you guys also have a, a new single that that just came out in, i guess last week right yeah, yeah, like a week and a half ago or so. Yeah, a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah. We we um had been you know working on new stuff. Like our our last single that'll also be on the you know the new LP. We put that out six years ago, and so we hadn't had anything released for the past six years. And then we had this you know new stuff. We got uh, hooked up with Red Scare. Toby's great. You know, he's totally you know gotten on board with us. To I, we always make the joke because Toby did say this. Toby once said, "There's my lovely wife back there." Toby once said, "You know, I I will never put out a Bowie Bulls record unless you do a split with Rise Against." That's what Toby said to us. If he ever denies that, he will. He, you know, we love him to death, but I have to give him a little shit for that. So that's <laughs> thing. So, but no, he um we put, we started you know writing these songs a, a bit ago. Um, had been playing, playing some of them live, but um, we'd been, you know, wanting to get new stuff out for the longest time and just finding the right, you know, way to do it was the thing. I mean, we have our own little thing we were trying to put things out on, which we did with our 
um, you know, last single that was six years ago. We put that out initially on one of the great local labels here, you know, Underground Communique, run by my good friend Justin. But those songs will also appear on our new LP. Okay, that comes out. But we, have, yeah, the new LP, the new EP, uh, LP, we, LP EP we just put out. We're we're really happy with this stuff. I mean, uh, Liniment Tonic is one of those songs that we are in practice and we're playing around. And suddenly we're like, hold on a second, we have something here. Let's come on, let's keep working on this. Yeah, and it fleshes it out. And 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 the thing about the song, if you if, if you've heard it, yeah, yeah. Um, it, as my wife says, it's a jaunty tune. It it. It, it really is kind of a, an homage to putting in hard work and where work breaks you. And, yeah. and you get to this point where it's like, oh my God, what do you do? You got to find something to give you that release. And a lot of times people fall into habits like drinking or yeah. something else like yeah. that. And I, I would admit to it that our band does drink sometimes. And so um, we invented this drink, Melinda um, Mint and Tonic. Okay. And so we, so we do have a propensity to drink gin and tonics. And I like tequila. And so we were trying to figure out what we're going to do. So gin and tonics, we drink those and drink a tall gin and tonic. And then it's like, well, let's make this, let's make a drink for this song. I mean, you're kind of talking about it. I'm like, okay, cool. So we kind of alchemized some things together in, in my house and it, we came up with the recipe and it's, it's out there. Um, and it's, it's a drink that will mess you up pretty quickly. <laughs> so it'll make you forget about your back pain or your mental anguish or anything else until you realize you've had liniment tonics and you've probably done something really stupid. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it, the song is an homage to like, you're working so hard that you're broken and you feel like your back's breaking no matter what it is, whether it's physical labor, whether, whether it's stuff that we do in, in the hospital, you know, right now, specifically these past 18 months have been pretty crazy when it comes to yeah. we done with COVID and yeah. now, de now dealing with not only, you know, COVID, but the return of patients to the hospitals with, staffing at a, at a minimum in places, which is just, you know, putting the healthcare system at a breaking point. And so kind of wrote about those things. And um, then we did the cover as well. One of our friends, we love the Lillingtons, they're friends of ours, and did the cover of Black Hole in My Mind, which is one of my favorite Lillington songs, by the way. Um, so we took that and put a little, you know, Midwestern Bow Wheels polish on it and made it into kind of our little version of it, which I think, you know, is a good homage to them because they're our buddies. I did talk to Cody and I, I he texted me, we had this whole thing, we talked about sandwiches for some odd reason, we talked about <laughs> sandwiches. And so he texted me, I said, did you hear the song? He goes, hmm, what's, you know, he's like, so I hope it was a good homage. He's like, yeah, it was good. And then uh, Tim was saying, yeah, it was a good, what song are you talking about? And I'm like, you know, the song we did of yours He's like, yeah, it was good. So I appreciate that they appreciate it. Yeah. And that's what really matters in yeah. the end. Um, and we try to do our, our justice to it in some sense and not, you know, in any way, you know, dampen that spirit of the song. And, and I know you guys got a, a big show at, at Riot Fest uh, coming up in a week or two. As well. Just coming up this week this on week? Saturday. So yeah, we're oh, playing wow. on, on 18th. So we're, we're, 535 Rebel Stage. So whoever's coming out, come out and check us out. We're going to give you the good old Chicago punk rock experience as it goes with our stupid high flying me jumping around like an idiot. And, <laughs> you know, hopefully not breaking something and having to administer medical care to myself. How, 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 how are you still doing the jumps? I mean, I, I've been watching the videos on, on YouTube <laughs> as well. I mean, the, the jumps are still, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of, yeah, I, mean, I guess it's exercise at that point, right? You're, you're getting it, it out there. It is. I mean, it is, but I, I have to constantly, you know, keep myself in some semblance of shape besides round to do that, which is a thing. I mean, it's like anything. I mean, it's, it's for your general health to begin with. I mean, sure. I, I mean, I have young kids. I have, I have kids that are, you know, I have twins that are nine and a seven-year-old. So oh, I, wow. I, as, as a guy of, of, 
of my maturity, I don't want to say my age, but of my maturity, I definitely have to continue to keep myself in some semblance of, of shape. Um, you know, my, my wife is a, a big, you know, supporter of a plant-based diet and we do that here. And, um, you know, I, I try to work out at least four times a week if I can, you know, I at least roll 5,000 meters a day if I can. Um, and, you know, try and do thrusters, which I hate <laughs> just to try and keep my legs working. But, uh, you know, I used to go to CrossFit. I used to go to CrossFit. Okay. I used to be in that cult. Um, I still have my CrossFit family, don't get me wrong, but, you know, it's like, you know, mm, I can do the workouts and it's, not. It's the, it's the other be, extreme, right? Yeah. It's like, you know. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe, I, didn't, I didn't gone for a while, so I just work out at home. I have my home gym stuff yeah. that I work out with. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 not as easy to recover from some of the things sometimes. You know, sure. I mean, I if I had to go on tour for five weeks, it'd be probably difficult to keep up that amount of energy for five weeks. A week, I could do it. Maybe two weeks, yeah. You know, but yeah, doing a show, a, a one-off show, and then playing another one-off show in a little bit definitely can keep the energy up for that. Um, and, but it, but it does help to stay in some shape. <laughs> it is. So as, as a physician and as a general human being, it's, it's really imperative to keep your health. Yeah. So I was saying you can't run away from a bad diet. So you got to continually keep yourself as healthy as possible when you're out there doing stuff. So absolutely. So no, no more, no more, uh, you know, sur sur surviving on Taco Bell, uh, and fast food when you're, when you're on the road anymore. Right. <laughs> No, you know, the funny thing is, it's not not that I eat healthy every day. I mean, yeah, come on, yeah. let's, let's be honest. I mean, I'm not a human being. I'm still going to have my own foibles and, and faults. But I mean, you try and eat as best you can uh, sure. on a regular basis and keep yourself cardiovascularly healthy. You know, I, like I said, I row at least 5,000 meters every, you know, four, four days a week at least. Okay. So um, that's something that you want to kind of keep yourself doing. So run, do something, jumping jacks, I don't know, just push-ups, something. Keep your body yeah. moving and it's going to keep your mind healthy and keep your body healthy too. So, But it helps with the jumps because I definitely got to keep myself in shape because I got to make sure these young guys don't catch up. You know, I mean, they look at us and go like, oh my God, I can't believe that you're a mature gentleman such as yourself and you can still do this. I'm like, oh yeah, because I'm way better than you. I'm super, that's why, because you suck. That's <laughs> No, it's because, yeah. that's because I'm trying to be an inspiration, actually. I'm trying to be inspiring yeah. to say, you can do this and keep doing it. You don't have to be some schlep that feels like you can't. I mean, as soon as somebody uses the word can't, it's like, why? Why? What is inhibiting yeah. you from doing that's, I think that's, that's absolutely, you know, uh, it, you know, that, that DIY punk rock attitude that you have. I mean, I, I was told, you know, countless times when I, I left a job in, in doing computer science. And I remember yeah. specifically one of the ladies I worked with was like, you know, I told her I was going to med school or I was going to my post back to do med school. And she was like, you can't do that. And, you know, at that point too, my, my mind automatically goes, well, at this point now it's, it's, it's med scores, you know, out of spite at that point, right? It's, it's, right. Not, even, it's not even like I want to do it anymore. It's, right. I'm going to show you. Yeah. How dare you say no? Look what I just did. I just, and, and you know what? That is a motivator. Yeah. That is, that is a motivator. And it is one of those things that, you know, as soon as you're, you're told, you can't do it. You're like, well, why can't I? And let me show you how I can do this. Yeah. And those were some of the things that happened when we were playing and going on tour. It's like, you can't go out and do this. Well, why can't we do that? Mm -hmm. We just showed you, you can. And, and, and I think at, at some point that has to be inspiring to other people who sat back in the, in the wings, waiting to see whether or not you would fail. Mm -hmm. But even if you failed, if you tried, at least people see that you're making that effort. You're, you're going forward. You're, you're, not, you're in the arena and you're doing things. Yeah. And you're living like, <laughs> my dog is like, 
depending on your living life with a purpose is what it is. So, you, so you're not sitting back and trying to hold on. Let me make sure I that always. Not getting the oh, it's just the, it's just the person delivering the mail, and my, my dog has a aversion to the mail person That's okay. delivering the mail, which is not the way he's supposed to act at all. So now now he stopped. See. So um, the, the whole thing is like, I, I think it's the motivator to, to really have, at least make the effort and try. Yeah. And people can look at you and go, I saw how you tried. Maybe they can then modify what you did to be successful. You yeah. know, the, the whole old adage of, you know, you got to break some omelets. To, you got to make break some eggs to make omelets. You have to. And even in, even in medicine, in our training, you know, you have to, you know, see one, do one, teach one. But you know what? A lot of times you're going to fail in the yeah, beginning. And if, and if you don't continue to do it, you're not going to get better. If you come in with the attitude, I failed, I just can't do, then you're never going to be successful. You know, that first central line you put in, you didn't get that central line the first time you put it in. If you did, yeah. good for you. But you know what? You still missed a couple here yeah. and there. You know, that chest tube you put in, you know, it's, you might have actually, you know, not put it in far enough. You know, you, 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 who's hit a liver? I mean, it's all these things that yeah. happen that you have to sit back and say, you're going to, fail at some things, but that's a part of the learning process is you fail, you get back up and you dust yourself off and you move forward again and say, what did I do there? That wasn't right. You know, and then you go on and I teach my little, like my kids to ride a bike. You know, it's like, I told my daughter, I told my youngest daughter, you're going to fall. You're going to fall and you and it's going to suck, but you know, what's going to happen. You're not going to want it fall. Cause you're going to say that sucks so much. I'm going to find everything to not fall. So if you keep trying at it, you're going to do it. And finally, it's like, you ride the bike. Yeah. You're, you're going. You're, you're, doing, you're, it. you're doing it. And, and I, one of my daughters wanted to learn to skate. So she's was rollerblading. Now she's got my old skateboard and she's been messing around with that. And it's like, hey, you know what? The, the, the more you fall, the better you're going to be. Yeah. Because then you're going to learn, I need to balance my body this way. Yeah. And so she got on rollerblade. She's like, fell a couple times. I thought she would be balling. She wasn't. She was like, okay, got back up kept on going then started skating. I'm like, yeah. look at you. And now it's like, she's getting on the skateboard. I'm like, did, okay, we'll see how that goes. We'll did, did, you guys, goes. did you guys watch any of the USA skateboarding on from the Olympics? Yeah, a little bit. We did. Yeah, We did. And I mean, you know, funny thing is I remember when I was a kid, they were talking about skateboarding being in the yeah. Olympics. It's yeah. like, so now it's there. It's like, okay. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was like, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's inspiring from from you know i think watching the girls skateboarding just because everybody yes. is basically under the age of 15 yes um and also yeah i mean i don't know if you've seen those shirts that that basically say skateboarding is a crime yes. um you know just uh, to, to kind of mock that that yes. area. <laughs> yes right i mean because it's now become so mainstream but you know yeah. what i mean everything modifies everything grows over time yeah, yeah. and oh boy hi elliot oh boy so um, everything grows over time. And the thing is, I, I, I my kids really enjoyed it. And I, I, and I remember, yes, when skateboarding was so, you know, underground and yeah, yeah. it was like the, you know, only people, were, but, but it's just like tattoos too, right? Weren't tattoos yeah. a, a sign of uh, degeneration or of individuals who were antisocial is what it was supposed to, it was taught to us in medical school that that's what it was. Yeah. And I'm like, Hmm, I know a lot of antisocial people is what I kind of looked at. It's like, that's the problem. A lot of antisocial people. And now it's like, oh no, you're, you're tatted up all over the place. You yeah, know, your, yeah. your, your general surgeon comes in and they're all tatted up. It's like, Hey, you know, I'm Dr. Such and such. And they're tatted all over, you know, they got to, yeah. you know, 
a, a shelter tattoo on from back in, you know, listening yeah. to old and, and, and it makes you, it makes you, you know, be able to, to empathize with the patient as well. Right. I mean, you know, when you see a patient like that, let's say, you know, someone has a black flag, you know, logo, right. you, you identify with that very quickly and you're able to kind of, you know, speak to them at a different level that, that they would ne not necessarily be, you know, used to in that way either. Right. 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 And, and yeah. that's the thing. Then they go, wow. Then they're really surprised and they're more open to give you information or to tell you other things. Yeah. And, you know, and they, they don't feel like they're being judged, you know, exactly. because some people sometimes still feel there's a stigma if you're all tatted up that people are going to judge you and think you're some kind of, you know, criminal or yeah, something like that, which exactly, which is yeah. completely ludicrous. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and it is like, you, you know, you, you, when you're examining patients and you see the different tattoos they have, it's like, wow, I know this. Yeah. If I say this, this person's going to respond. Like, there's a guy who came in with a little juggalo tattoo. <laughs> and, I, and I'm no, you know, ICP guy, but yeah. I know of, and I said something about juggalos or I said something like, um, God, what did I say to him? I was like, uh, God, what did I say? I was like, whoop, whoop. But I went into the room and he was like, <laughs> he looked at me dude, I see your juggalo tattoo. He's like, oh yeah, man. And we're just talking. And yeah. I left the room. I'm like, well, that, that kid was more apt to be open to, to talk at that point. Sure. He was. Yeah. So, but then you recognize some tattoos, you go like, well, that's a Aryan nation tattoo. Maybe I should yeah, be a little bit cautious in this room. <laughs> it's like, nobody else would recognize that one. It's like, yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> that tattoo is a problem, but but the patient team was very respectful yeah. at the time. So there you go. Because I have all the drugs. That's the thing. Yeah. I have all the drugs. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a question because you kind of you kind of touched on it a little bit before in, in in the medical aspect, you know, with with being a person of color and kind of how we kind of perceive physicians at this point, you know, in, in our society today. You know, I think that's also a huge part of, in punk rock too. I mean, I, at least when yeah. I, where I was, in, you know, outside Philadelphia, I, I rarely saw any persons of color um, mm -hmm. involved in punk rock. So I, I wanted to see what your take on it was, you know, how was that like, or how was that experience like for you, you know, growing up in, in, in the punk rock scene? I mean, in the, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, um, like every teen, you know, romp movie back in the eighties, there's always the one black guy. Yeah. in the movie then they usually die unfortunately in those horror movies which is horrible yeah. and um it's kind of like you're the you you walk into a place and you're like the only person in the room you know most of the time yeah and um you know in chicago there were more african-americans involved in punk rock but i mean it's still sometimes you'd be in place you're the only guy in the room yeah. um but you'd see you know i'd see damon locks playing in you know you know trench mouth and be like oh look i mean there's there's damon you know you'd see you know you have idols in Bands like, you know, you see D.H. Pellagro in, you know, the Kennedys. Of course, everybody mentions the Bad Brains. We have bands sure. like Two Seven Spies and, yeah. you know, just go around. And, and, you know, but you think back, like Polystyrene back in the day. I mean, you, there, there were people of color were involved in yeah. punk rock for the longest time. For sure. And it's not like we were never a part of the, the movement of what punk rock yeah. was. But, yeah, when you'd go to shows, it, it seemed like it was, you know, a bunch of you know white dudes you yeah, know? yeah you know it's same thing with women or, or you know people who are you know gay or trans you yeah. know it's like the same thing is that you're in this subculture and everybody felt like misfits all around so you think hey i'm a misfit too let me get in with the misfits and that's your creed but even then people faction off into these little kind of groups yeah and yeah it, it, it sometimes it was you know scary at some points but i mean you always had your friends who had your back and things like that you know but most most of punk rock in general 
was pretty accepting. Yeah. It's like anything. Most, most of society is pretty accepting. It should be. There's going to be this minority of individuals that are not, and they're usually the very vocal minority. Yeah. So you yeah. get, you know, skins that shows who were definitely not sharp, but then you have the yeah. sharp skins that were there to battle those guys too. Yeah. Yeah. So you knew who was who by looking at their laces. The, la the laces know? was a big one. Yeah. So, so but would it be difficult sometimes? Cause you go into places like we travel to the Northwest and then not know what we're going to run into. Sure. And yeah. you run into a bunch of skins. You go, well, I don't know if these guys are on our side or not. And you go to a show, I jump in the crowd like an idiot and I might get attacked, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that's always a risk. But I mean, I think a lot of times when you're young, your youthful exuberance and your belief in being invulnerable to, to hurt and to pain also makes you want to do that, you know, stand up to things and be like, I'm just going to fucking do it. Right. Yeah. The, the whole thing of like, when you, when you, the whole thing of people saying you can't, like, you can't be a black guy and do punk rock. It's like, fuck yeah, I can. Yeah. What, what do you mean I can't? Right there, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. And be that guy that you're going to find on your Google search. So when you go, the, the guy who you go down in the brackets, who's the number one, yeah. who's the punk rock doctor guy? He's the black guy. He's got dreadlocks. He's six foot four. He's magnificently cut as a human being. And he, you know, and yeah. he's the doctor. It's like, he's got twins and another kid. And he's like, who else is that guy? That's me. Yeah. And anybody who said you couldn't do that, I'm going to show you, you can. So I want to be that inspiration to other kids out there of color who say, I can't do that. I mean, there's more and more people of color that are yeah. visible in, in punk rock and alternative music now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I like that. It's nice to be one of those people that kind of was, once again, walking the Oregon Trail and didn't get dysentery and died and was able to show you can make it out here to the promised land where there's gold. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, were there times it was dangerous? Yeah, times it was dangerous. But like I said, I had my guys in the band and my friends and family of punk rock that was around that was there to shelter and protect as well too. It wasn't yeah. alone. So it wasn't like you walked into the show and it was like the record skips and then yeah, yeah. you got to walk out of there. <laughs> it's it's like you walk in and you go, I'm comfortable. There's family here. There are people here. It's cool. Yeah. And then when you show up, somebody else shows up. You're like, hey, you're here too. It's okay. You know, hey, somebody else shows up. You're here too. Um, and, and I think that's that's the thing. You got to be the pioneer at some point. But, you know, I think what also has to happen is people in the, you know, in the scene also have to understand that maybe take their blinders off and be like they claim to be open and inviting. Yeah. I think that it's just us. It's just yeah, yeah. us doing this. It's like, open it up, open the pit up, <laughs> you know, let people yeah. into the pit. So, and, and, and let everybody experience it because music is just music. And if you feel that vibe from the music, that's all that matters. And that's all that matters for you. All right, Daryl. I mean, I, I really do appreciate so much that you've taken this much time to, to speak to me today. Like I said, it's it's been amazing to be able to do this with you. Um, I have a couple more questions for you. Yeah. The other Google search that I did. Um, <laughs> but fi finding your name on there uh, was like, you know, punk, punk rock saves lives. Um, yes. And I, I was, you know, speaking with them, you know, just to see how I could possibly get involved with them, because obviously it's a, it's a great cause, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Um, and then you know looked on the board member and, and there you are um how did how did you get involved with them and, and can you explain a little bit you know about what they do yeah so so rob actually reached out to me um they had found me too they you know looking and say hey punk rock daryl wilson you know he's doctors and bow evils but we love that yeah. guy yeah and rob reached out and i i did a little podcast with him 
Okay. And, you know, <clears throat> and Mackenzie was on there and Dave, it, it's just a bunch of great folks. And just talking about, you know, what was happening in, in, with the pandemic and just talking about health in general and talking about punk rock and all yeah. those things. And we all share a common goal of trying to have life with purpose, right? Yeah. Um, and so Rob just asked me and said, hey, would you be like a, a, on the advisory board? You know, just we ask questions here and there and things. And um, I said, sure. And, and, and what they do, you know, looking out on one, looking at mental health for individuals, yeah. Um, number two, of course, looking at how they're collecting samples for bone marrow, uh, the bone marrow banks, um, that, that's important stuff. Yeah. And, you know, getting the community of punk rock involved in projects that can, once again, make a difference. And once again, as I keep saying, and I think this is an important aspect of any life, it's living a purposeful life is, is super important. And I, and I back it a thousand percent. Um, being a physician for me is a part of having a purpose in life. It, it's not just everything about me. It is a lot of me. And, but my purpose in life is to, you know, make sure that my family is, is good with my, my wife and kids, um, my family, my, my, my parent, my mom, my brother, my sister, my, my friends who are family, you know, my bandmates, um, my community, which includes my punk rock community, the community I work around with in healthcare, um, all those things that that's, that's what gives you kind of this, I guess, fuel to go into every day and tackle it. And there are days when you completely feel spent and you don't have anything. And I think having purpose and being reminded of that by the people that you actually try to fulfill too, helps to, to push you on, help you soldier on, on days where you feel like you just can't do it. Yeah. And so with Punk Rock Saves Lives, I mean, they they definitely are a, a landing point for people that are looking to, one, have purpose to help out and serve a community, um, a, a place where that's safe for community to come in to talk about mental health issues, you know, substance abuse issues, things like that, and also helping in the larger sense to doing those big, big projects when it comes to, to collecting samples so that individuals can help with bone marrow registry yeah. and help with individuals who have, you know, uh, bloodborne cancers, things like that. So th that's important stuff. Yeah. And um, Rob just basically asked, and I said, this is perfect. Sure, man. I, I mean, you play music, you're awesome. Yeah. You're a great person, great human being. And whatever you need from me, I'm, I'm there to help out. That's, that's great. Um, so the last question I had for you, so, you know, you mentioned you had kids, you have, you know, a set of twins. Yeah. What if 10 years down the line from now, your daughter's like, Hey dad, I'm getting in a van. We're going on tour. What are your, what are your thoughts? Um, it's funny because, you know, one of my daughters wants to be uh, a pop star. She says okay. that all the time. And you know, so she's now in dance and she's on the competitive dance team and stuff like that, which I never thought I would be that person, you know, the dance, but hey, that's great. Yeah. And they like to sing. They do like the bow weevil, so they're still in the, the, the trust, <laughs> so they're still in the well. Um, my youngest, like, you're one of my favorite bands. Like, cool, what, who's on one of your other favorite? The Descendants. I'm like, well, you're, you're really good, so you're, you're my, you're, your guys are good. You guys are all good. Um, but um, if they want to get into a van and go on tour 10 years from now, um, you know, it, it's uh, right now, if I think about it, it's like, wow, it's hard for me to fathom that. 
Yeah. Um, knowing the kind of the things that can happen and those things, of course, I'd be concerned that my daughter is going on yeah, tour. Yeah. And they'd be like, well, why could you do that? And why can't I do that? Yeah. Right. And I, I have to be supportive in some sense. I'm going to bite my tongue till it bleeds. Yeah. Um, I'll bite the inside of my cheek till there's a hole in it. Um, and I'll clench my fists and start probably profusely sweating. But I'd have to say, experience that. But yeah. be cautious, be careful. Yeah. We're here to support you. If something happens, yeah. call us. I'll be there in a heartbeat. Um, you have a cell play- phone now. There's cell right. phones nowadays. Right. Don't play these towns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, no, I, I, I would have to be supportive. I, I mean, my wife would probably come in here and say, you would totally go against it. Yeah. But yeah. I, in, in all reality, everybody has to discover themselves yeah. through their own journey. I could tell them my experiences, but they're gonna be different for them. And I do give them cautionary tales all the time about, sure. hey, when I did this, this is what happened. Yeah. And they go, yeah, remember that time you jumped off the stage, you hurt your feet, you had plantar fasciitis for a while, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that vividly, and I do. <laughs> that was pretty stupid, Dad. Yeah, it was pretty dumb. So yeah. one, make sure you jump into a larger crowd. <laughs> make sure they play. catch you. Make sure they catch you. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have to say that I would have to be um, cautiously supportive yeah. <laughs> yeah. in doing it, um, but also tell the tale of it's going to be hard and you know, you'll learn from it and, and yeah. you will learn. Like I said, you got to break some eggs to make omelets and that's going to be a lot of eggs broken if they go on tour in a van. I'm not buying the van, by the way. They have to figure that out themselves. There's no way I'm financing that. They have to figure that out on their own. So that's a part of the whole experience. It's no brand DIY. new vans. No yes, brand new vans. Yeah, you got to get it. Do it yourself. It's like, well, yeah. Dad, you're a doctor. Yeah, but you're in a punk rock band, and it's your yeah. choice to go do that. Right? <laughs> the whole experience, baby. Go out there and figure it out on your own. <laughs> All right, Daryl, thank you so much for for taking the time here. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Uh, anytime. 